I'm turning this morning to the passage we read in our first scripture reading, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And my text is taken from verses 15 and 16. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. This is one of the saddest passages in the whole of the Bible. As the southern kingdom of Judah is taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army in around 587 BC. The United Kingdom of Israel had been split into two nations in 922 BC in the reign of Rehoboam after Solomon's death. The northern kingdom of Israel made up of the ten of the twelve tribes and the southern kingdom of Judah comprising the two remaining tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom had been characterised throughout its history as a rebellious and idolatrous nation and had finally been punished by the Lord in 722 BC when it was taken into captivity by the Assyrian army under Shalmaneser V and then Sargon II. The southern kingdom Judah had had a number of godly kings such as Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and the last great godly king, Josiah, who had died in battle with Pharaoh Necho of Egypt in 609 BC. But Judah proved sadly just as rebellious and idolatrous as Israel had been. Josiah had been succeeded by his son Jehoahaz, but he reigned just three months, as we read in verse 2 of this chapter. He was deposed by Pharaoh Necho and taken to Egypt and replaced by his brother Eliakim, whose name was changed to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim reigned 11 years, as we read in verse 5, before King Nebuchadnezzar came up against him and carried him in fetters to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple. Jehoiakim was succeeded by his son Jehoiakim, elsewhere called Jeconiah. might seem odd from verse 9 that it says Jehoiakim was only 8, but if we compare this to the parallel passage in 2 Kings 24, verse 8, we read that he was actually 18. However, he reigned just three months and ten days before he was taken away to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, just as his uncle Jehoahaz had been carried into Egypt by Necho. Jehoiakim's brother Zedekiah was now made king by Nebuchadnezzar and reigned just 11 years until the events that we read of in this passage took place when the southern kingdom of Judah was itself taken into captivity, this time by the Babylonians. Under a succession of wicked kings in Israel, from Jeroboam onward, the true worship of the Lord had been compromised and corrupted by idolatry and the heathen worship of Baal, Ashtoreth, and other false Canaanite gods, so-called gods. Yet the Lord had striven repeatedly with Israel, sending them his prophets to bring them back to himself. Prophets such as Elijah, Elisha, 
Hosea and Amos. So too in Judah, he had sent his prophets to the people such as Isaiah, Micah and Jeremiah, pleading with the people to turn away from their idolatries and to repent. And as we read in verse 15, the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers. Why? Well, we're told because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The Lord yearned for the people to repent and to turn back to him. But what was the response of the people? They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. We read in verse 12 how Zedekiah had not humbled himself before Jeremiah when he had spoken from the mouth of the Lord. Jeremiah had pleaded with Zedekiah to repent and turn back to the Lord. But Zedekiah refused and paid a terrible price as the Babylonian army invaded. We read in the corresponding passage in 2 Kings 25 that Zedekiah's sons were killed before him. And then he had his eyes gouged out and he was taken in fetters to Babylon. What a horribly sad end for Zedekiah. Jehoiakim before him had refused to hear Jeremiah and indeed on one occasion had taken a roll or a scroll written with words of warning from Jeremiah and had cut it up into pieces and burnt in the fire. So what does all this have to do with us here today at East Dulwich Tabernacle? Maybe you think to yourselves, well, I'm not like those unbelieving Jews and Israelites. I come to church regularly. I say my prayers. I read the Bible. But these words apply just as much today to us as they did 600 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Every time you come here to East Dulwich Tabernacle or to any Bible believing church, the Lord is sending his messengers to you, as it were. As you read his word and hear the gospel preached each Lord's day, how do you respond each week? More importantly, how will you respond today? The people of Israel and Judah hadn't completely abandoned the worship of the Lord, but they often mixed the true religion with Baal worship and other idolatrous Canaanite practices. Some of the people would have got so mixed up in the Baal worship that they would have been indistinguishable from them. But perhaps others would not have got involved in the excesses, but they still adopted many worldly practices into their lives. Now, of course, sadly, today, many so-called churches where their worship services are like the entertainment of the world with loud pop and rock style music. But maybe you think to yourselves, well, that's not for me. I much prefer to come to EDT with its quieter services. But are our hearts really sincere? Have we heard the message of the gospel calling us to come out from the world and to seek and find the Lord Jesus Christ for ourselves as our saviour? If we look at Zedekiah in verses 11 to 13, how he refused to humble himself before Jeremiah. Jeremiah had urged him to repent of his sins and turn back to the Lord. But Zedekiah refused to humble himself. He stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Are we like Zedekiah? No doubt he would have thought of himself as a believing Jew, but he didn't come as a humble man, sincerely seeking for the Lord to save him. But he came with all his pride, thinking he was good enough as he was. 
He was not interested in true, sincere worship. He had no love for the Lord. He was only concerned about himself and what he could get. As king of Judah, Zedekiah should have been more concerned for the Lord's glory and should have encouraged his people to seek the Lord and find him, just as his own father Josiah had done. Josiah had led the nation in repentance and prayer when they found the book of the law in the temple of Jerusalem, and he made sure they heard the word of God. The people were greatly convicted under Josiah's reforms, but after his death, they soon returned to their own idolatries and false religious practices. But what about us? Are we concerned for the Lord's glory and honour? Are we sincere? We hear the word of God preached to us, but does it make any impact in our hearts? Do we feel convicted when we hear the word preached? What do we think of the Lord God? Do we think of him as our heavenly father, a holy God before whom we should bow? Do we think of the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, a saviour for sinners, the only mediator between God and men? When we hear the gospel preached each week, are we challenged to seek the Lord for ourselves and to turn away from our sins and our sinful lifestyles? Think of the Ten Commandments. That great summary of God's moral law. The sixth commandment says, thou shalt not kill. Do we just say to ourselves, well, I've never killed anyone. But have we understood that that commandment includes anger and spiteful hostility? Have we ever found ourselves in such a position when we sometimes think, oh, someone's really annoying me. I really hate that person. And that's all covered in that commandment. The commandment also includes gossip and speaking evil of others. Do we see and understand how we so easily break that commandment? The seventh commandment says thou shalt not commit adultery. We may never have committed the outward physical act of adultery, but have we looked lustfully upon another person or looked at pornography? We were created to live for God and to serve him. But so often we read in the Old Testament of how the Lord pictured Israel and Judah as unfaithful wives, cheating on him and going after their lovers with all the false religions about them. Are we like that? Loving this world more than the Lord? What's our view of the Lord's day? The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day, the principle of one day in seven set apart from the Lord. This was a creation ordinance instituted at the end of that first creation week. It's the Lord's day. Do we feel happy and comfortable that we only come out maybe to one service on Sunday and hardly ever in the week? What do we do the rest of the Lord's day? Do we just want to go back to our homes, turn the television on, watch the entertainment of the world or play on our games consoles? Maybe there's a sports event. And we don't want to let anything else get in the way of watching it even if it means missing church. Maybe we just want to go out, have a meal out somewhere. Anything but being in the Lord's house or at Sunday school, Bible class, college class, thinking about the Lord. Why is that? What about the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You young people on your phones and social media, you're sending messages. How often do you maybe type those three letters in your messages? O-M-G. 
Do you stop to think about what it means? So many people today only ever seem to use the name of the Lord Jesus as a swear word. Is that like us? Are we all friendly and respectable when we're at church? But once we're out of church, it's totally different. But we can also break that third commandment when we read the Bible carelessly. When we're praying or singing the hymns without any thought of God or what the words actually mean. We read and pray, but our thoughts are distracted by other things. We sing the hymns about praise to the Lord, but we don't mean the words. Second commandment, thou shalt not make graven images. Do we read about the Lord Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the scripture? Or would we rather watch a TV or film portrayal of the Lord, something like The Chosen or something else, which is actually portraying a false Jesus? We may not wear crucifixes or have other images of the Lord, but have we made up a God in our own image to worship, a God who will let us live our lives as we please? And the first commandment, have we put other gods before the true and living Lord God Almighty? Have we put gods of self, gods of career, gods of wealth and ambition, even gods of family before the triune God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us we are sinners. And as we sit <coughs> under the ministry here each week, do we see ourselves as sinners in need of a saviour? We are glad to see you here this morning, but have you come out of a sincere heart to seek the Lord and to find him? Just as in our passage here in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, the Lord is sending his messages to you through the preached word. What will be your response? We read that the people mocked the Lord's messengers and despised his words and misused his prophets. I hope that cannot be said of anyone here today. We should understand the terrible consequences that are revealed here in verse 16. The wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Do we ever stop to think about that? We are often told that God is a God of love and so he is. But he's also a holy God, a righteous God. And as Psalm 7 reminds us, God is angry with the wicked every day. Yes, we are amazed at the long suffering and forbearance of the Lord. But there comes a time when the patience of God is exhausted and he will rise to act. So here in this passage, we read that the wrath of the Lord arose. But against whom? We're told his wrath arose against his people. It wasn't against the wicked Babylonians and the Baal worshippers. It was against the Lord's own people, the Jews, who had not worshipped the Lord as they should. And look at those solemn words at the end of verse 16. Till there was no remedy. The people of Israel and Judah had provoked the Lord so much that there was now no remedy. No more opportunity for forgiveness. There is, of course, coming a great day of judgment when the Lord will return in triumph and in glory. The events recorded here before us are a picture, a foreshadowing of that last great and final judgment. The Lord bears with the sins of this world for so long. One day the Lord's patience will end and Christ will come again. For those of us 
who have repented of our sins and been saved, that will be a great day when we shall be with the Lord forever. But for those who have never turned to the Lord, it will be a fearful day. On that day, there will be no more remedy for sin. If you're not saved here today, I plead with you that you would seek and find the Lord before that day comes. However, I think there's something more in this passage. There's another judgment being talked about here. It's a judgment that comes upon people even while they're still alive. Babylon was a very real place. It was a very real kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was a very real historical person. This is true history that we read of that happened in 587 BC. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans and in 1 Corinthians, these things in the Old Testament were written for our learning and our admonition. So here, Babylon is a picture of something else. It is a picture of this fallen world system that is all around us. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom had largely been assimilated into Assyria. Some had remained in Israel, but got mixed up with idolaters and corrupted the true worship of Israel into the false religion of the Samaritans. So now for the people of Judah, we read in verse 17, some were killed by Nebuchadnezzar's army, but many others, as we read in verse 20, were carried away to Babylon. For the most part, these would have been assimilated into Babylon and its culture, trained to reject the true religion of the Lord and become just like the Babylonians. Yes, there were exceptions. Ezekiel, the prophet, most notably Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They stood firm against Babylon's indoctrination and remained faithful to the Lord. As we read in verse 21, it was the prophecy of Jeremiah that the Jews would be 70 years in captivity and would return. But how many actually returned? Very few in the scheme of things, only a small remnant. Sadly, so many others of the Jewish captives in Babylon would have become just Babylonian clones. And that's a picture of what will happen to us if we go on rejecting the Lord, just as the Jews were taken into captivity by Babylon, so too, if we don't come to the Lord, we will become captives to this Babylon world system. If you look at verse 18, we read of how Babylon took away all the vessels and treasures of the house of God. Well, I hope you don't think that I'm over-spiritualizing this passage by saying that this is what happens to those who look into this world for pleasure and sustenance rather than the Lord. Every last bit of thought for the things of God will be stripped away from the house of our soul, as it were. We will lose all desire to worship and inclination to worship the Lord and love him. will instead become like empty shells living for the passing pleasures of this vain world. The Roman poet Juvenal, who lived in the first and second centuries AD, once wrote that if the Roman authorities gave the people bread and circuses, they would never revolt. 
So long as they had plenty of food and the opportunity to be entertained at the gladiatorial games and the great events, that would be all they needed to keep them happy. Well, that is what Babylon does today. We look around us in our 21st century Western society and that saying, bread and circuses, is just as true as it was then. We have food aplenty from the high street stores, the supermarkets and the retail giants. And we have entertainment in bucket loads. We have Netflix and other streaming services literally at the touch of a button. We hear of people binge watching the latest TV shows and films. They have everything they need. No thought of God but perfectly content with all that this Babylon world system offers them. I hope and pray that this doesn't describe any of us here today. You know how Babylon is so careful as it tries to <coughs> ensnare us into its evil clutches. It won't outrage us too much too quickly. You might well think that there's no harm watching the occasional thing on television. And I speak to myself here as much as to anyone else. But you can be sure that you'll start watching something. You might think it's innocent. Sooner or later, Babylon will throw in some innuendo or some smutty reference. How many times has that happened? At first, you're shocked. But then it brings a little smile to your face. Then you're watching something. There'll be a little bit of bad language or some profanity in it. Some taking of the Lord's name in vain. And then a bit more and then a bit more. Maybe you're watching something and suddenly during the program itself or in the adverts, there'll be nudity and you gasp and you, you think, oh, but you're already tainted by it. Your minds are polluted. Maybe for some, sadly, they then become hooked and addicted into watching pornography and gratuitous violence. Babylon is very quick to try and trap you into its clutches as it promotes the LGBT agenda and exposes you to more and more immorality. Babylon will entice you into loving the pop and rock music culture. Many churches have sadly embraced pop and rock into their worship services. Maybe you like listening to the songs of some worldly pop star or pop group. But before you know it, there'll be lewd and rude lyrics. Then you watch them in a video or God forbid you go to a pop concert to see them live and you see the raunchy behavior of the singer or the band. Make no mistake, Babylon is seeking to captivate you, and I use that word advisedly, and to bring you further away from the Lord and into her clutches. <coughs> if the world shows a nature documentary with all the wildlife and beauty in the world, you know full well there'll be no mention of the creator who made everything. Instead, they will promote the godless theory of evolution with all its millions of years of death and suffering. How many people's Christian profession has been wrecked because they listened to the lies of Babylon rather than the pure word of God? Babylon has no room for the worship of the true God. You won't find evangelistic soul-saving preaching on the mainstream media. They'll tuck it away on the internet where you can find it if you really want to, but not so as to make it easily accessible to the majority of the viewing public. If they allow anything of God to be shown, it will be a false gospel or a false Jesus, such as that presented in the chosen or the he gets us movement or something similar. You remember how Pharaoh in the book of Exodus refused to let the Israelites go and the Lord sent plagues upon Egypt to persuade him to relent 
Plague after plague came and Pharaoh continued to resist the Lord, hardening his heart. And it wasn't till the tenth and final terrible plague, the death of the firstborn, that he let the people go. We read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and still Pharaoh tried to recover the Israelites before his army was destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea. And that's exactly what will happen if you go after Babylon and all her treasures and pleasures, if you love this world and refuse to come to the Lord and to seek him and to find him, Babylon will so captivate you, bedazzle you and entrance you that you will never be able to forsake her. These are solemn words, friends. And I want to turn to that passage we read in our second scripture reading. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 18. Because there we read of what will ultimately happen to Babylon and to all who are captured by her. In verse 2, we read Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. The literal city and empire of Babylon fell in about 539 BC. We read that in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's feast. When Belshazzar ordered a feast with all his commanders and loyal officials and they desecrated the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, mocking the Lord. I'm sure you remember well what happened as there appeared fingers, as it were, of a man's hands writing words of judgment against Belshazzar. That night Belshazzar died and Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persian army under Cyrus the Great. But that's not what this passage in Revelation is speaking of. It's speaking of the fall of spiritual Babylon, this world system that we've been thinking about. This book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John around 100 AD, and it is still just as relevant to us as it was to John and his hearers then. The passage says Babylon is fallen. Obviously, it's still future in John's day. It's still future in our day because that great day of judgment hasn't come yet. But in the sight of the Lord, Babylon's doom is certain. It is fallen and nothing can or will ever change that. Look at some of the descriptions in this chapter 18. Describing the terrible judgment that awaits Babylon and all who live for Babylon, live for this world. Verse 5. Her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse 8. Her plague shall come in one day, death, mourning and famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. The kings of the earth will bewail and lament for her. Verse 9. The merchants of the earth shall mourn and weep. Verse 11. The fruits that thy soul lusted after, verse 14, are departed from thee. Verse 17, so great riches is come to naught. And the people who love Babylon cast dust on their heads, verse 19, and cried, weeping and wailing. Verse 22, the voice of harpers, musicians, pipers, trumpeters shall be heard no more. The light of a candle shall shine no more. Verse 23. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. There is much that we can still enjoy in this world, such as beautiful arts and music, even though so much, especially today, has been corrupted and debased. 
But when Babylon falls and all its captives are sent by the Lord into hell, all of Babylon's glitter and wealth will be gone. No music, no light, no love. Perhaps even speaking of the bridegroom and the bride, could this also be saying in some way, no more hearing the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the bridegroom or the church. In hell, there is no more opportunity to repent. There is no remedy. What a terrible fate awaits Babylon and all those who are captives of Babylon. Friends, I urge you, seek the Lord. Trust in him. Don't look to Babylon, this fallen world with all its vain and empty promises. If we look at verse 4 of this chapter 18, Revelation, hear the words of the Lord. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. The Lord is pleading with each one of us to turn away from this sinful world, this Babylon with all its earthly sensual pleasures and delights. In John's first letter, he writes, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to receive any and all who will turn to him in true repentance. That's why he came into this fallen world as that babe born in Bethlehem. That's why he lived a perfect life of obedience to God as man. He did what we couldn't do. He obeyed the moral law of God, those Ten Commandments we thought of earlier. He went to the cross the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. He came to save sinners like you and me. And I would just plead with each one gathered here today to seek the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is far greater than all the fleeting pleasures that this world can offer. And he will give us so much more that will make Babylon's fading pleasures seem so insignificant. As the hymn writer John Newton wrote, Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, turn to him, ask him to save you and to deliver you from the clutches of Babylon, from this evil world. Seek him and find him while he may be found. Amen.